So, a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam, and a Christian preacher walk into a podcast. It sounds like a joke, but it's really a friendship. I am Imam Omar Shaheed of Masjid As-Salam. I'm Rabbi Jonathan Case from Beth Shalom Synagogue. And I am Reverend Ellen Fowler-Skidmore of Forest Lake Presbyterian Church. All of us gathered today in Columbia, South Carolina, to welcome you to our podcast, Abraham's Table. The Oxford Dictionary defines racism as prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. And when I googled racism, it said, the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. No matter how we define it, racism is a divisive, an angrily debated topic in our culture and country. Faith, all of our faiths, have often been used to support racism. How do we, as people of faith, define and experience racism, and how can religion be a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem? There's no way to settle the angry partisan debate going on in our country and around the world, so how in the world can three small voices take on such a big topic? with humility and hope. Come gather with us around the shared table that belongs to our father Abraham as we talk about racism. Welcome to Abraham's Table. Coming to this place with the topic in mind of speaking about racism, my mind was racing as I tried to imagine, what does race mean? What really is a race? I know what a race is when I'm running, but that's not what we're talking about. And racism is deeply disturbing down to our very gut. And the best thing that I can say, the most cogent thing I can say about racism is I know it's bad. (laughs) And beyond that, I go back to Justice Potter Stewart's statement about pornography who said, I know it when I see it. And we know racism when we see it. We can pinpoint it. But how do we define it, especially when looking at ourselves and our perception of other people? What does that racism look like? Is it only defined, I was asking myself on the way here today, is it only defined to color? And if it's color, do shades of color matter? And what about color of eyes? What about color of hair? What about stature? What about country of origin? What about faith, religion? Can all those things be subsumed under the topic of racism? Well, let me say this, Omar Shaheed. And I know that when you talk about racism, when you're talking about uh, what was read here about the belief that one's race, one's own race, is superior or the belief that one's own race is inferior. I've had to uh, look at it from my own experience. I'd like to address it from my own experience. I was born in 1949, 
So I grew up in South Carolina, Edgefield County, and then Aiken County. But I always had this this feeling of uh, this two-ness in one, this dual existence. Seeing uh, the white community, I say the white community, enjoying, enjoying opportunities, having access to opportunities. And when I was growing up, I didn't see those opportunities available to the African-American community. And I experienced Jim Crow going to the back door or the side door, not going through the front door, not being able to go in certain buildings, not being able to go into certain places. I don't want to say religion necessarily was responsible for it. I want to say that I did identify some misreadings by those in, in religion, or scripture, religious scripture, where it spoke to inferiority of the African-American people, the African people, that we were a cursed people. On the other side of that coin, everything presented was that the so-called white race was uh, advantaged and also uh, had a higher place in the human family. Experiencing that, but again, not with each and every one that I encountered from the so-called white community by experiencing it in the system, what they call systemic uh, racism. And to me, uh, I had problems with that. Mm. I had problems with language. Devil food cake was dark. Angel mm. food cake was white. Wow, interesting. <laughs> yeah. They used the terminology. Uh, was The language mm. was a put down. Basic, basically on how you interpreted the language. That, that's what I'm trying to get over. So, again, this feeling of less than in the human family, uh, I felt that. I experienced that. And many of the younger so-called white youth, I could see that they had some opportunities. Again, opportunities. So, Islam doesn't address the need, the need for us to look at each other differently. It, it, it addresses the need for us to look at each other as being created from the same human essence, the same nature. So I want to come back to that. I don't want to go too far into that. But I did see in the language, in the uh, scriptural language, and I call it misreading. I don't call it Jesus Christ's pure, uh, clean message. I call it the slaveholders concept. Uh, I did see a put down of the race of the African African people being cursed, being servants, and uh, to the so-called white community. You know, I, I went back to look um, in our South Carolina history and found a quote from one of the Presbyterian ancestors in, in South Carolina whose name James Henley Thornwall who did exactly that. I went back to look at some of that history. Thornwell was a, a pastor. He was a college president. He created a, a children's home, an orphanage. And from 1855 until he died, he taught at Columbia Theological Seminary. He was an active leader in the church. He wrote a letter to his wife when he was at a, a general assembly, which was the decision meeting for the denomination in 1845, and this is the quote that really struck me, Thornwell wrote to his wife, I have no doubts but that the assembly, 
the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, by a very large majority, will declare slavery not to be sinful, will assert that it is sanctioned by the Word of God, that it is purely a civil relationship with which the church as such has no right to interfere, and that abolitionism is essentially wicked, disorganizing, and ruinous. Mm. Shame, that, shameful. That comes from, from my history, from my theological, my faith history. And Omar rightly points, and I don't know how this the passage gets used in the Jewish tradition, but it is that that passage from Genesis about Noah and his sons, and Noah's son Ham and Ham's son Canaan, in which after, and this is such a strange story, Noah gets drunk, his son's trying to rescue him, he's mad about that, and so he curses Canaan, Ham's son, and says he's going to be a slave to all, and so in some reading, that made sense to mm-hmm. justify the, the belief that somehow African Americans, where where the connection? I'm unclear about how the connection made. How is Ham connected in people's minds to the African uh, uh, nations? But somehow that began to be Egypt. used. Egypt. Oh. Mm-hmm. I think it's connected with Egypt. It, it mentioned that in scripture. I think so. It can be interpreted to be Egypt, and Egypt is Africa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me just say something in reference in, in reference to the piece cautious because I know that all of the Christian communities did not Christianity did not teach that story. But it was prevalent uh, when I was growing up, I in, heard it. In Edgefield County. Yeah, in the African American community. I heard African American preachers say, Well, you know we've been cursed. We're cursed people. And also I want to say that the images the images that were presented, I never saw any African uh, American images that were portrayed. I saw, <laughs> I saw the images, the images that were given to us, uh, supporting uh, race superiority. Michelangelo's picture of Jesus, the angels, the Last Supper, all those were presented, and we grew up with them in our homes. We had the picture on the wall. Tell, tell that story again about what you said to your mama about the picture of Jesus on your wall, the one with the long, wavy brown hair and the blue eyes, that yeah. picture. Well, I told my mother, my twin brother, and I said, well, he doesn't look like anyone in the family. <laughs> but he does look like the fellow, this person that owns this property that we live on. We, we were joking with her in a way. But we, 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 were, we were concerned as to the projection of that picture. But I was told that no uh, people in the so-called white community would have an African, African-looking picture in their home and, and would point to that picture as being uh, Jesus or God incarnate. So I, the language and the pictures all were supporting race superiority. So on the other side of that, for the African-American, that would be race inferiority. And not only that, when we were blocked from, through Jim Crow, through black codes and everything, after so-called Emancipation Proclamation, from achieving, it seems to reinforce that idea that we were inferior because we didn't get the proper education. Do I remember this story right? I know you're one of a twin. You are one of, uh, you're part of twin, right? Yes. And your, your twin brother was lighter skinned than you were. Yes. And I remember you telling me that even among your family, Oh, yeah. 
that there was a perception that somehow he was preferred. He was cute. He was handsome. They would pick him up, and, and I would have my arms stretched out for them to pick me up, and I, I didn't get picked up <laughs> because I was the darker. I was a black sheep in the family. So uh, even among, uh, and I hate to say this about my father, he's innocent, he's, he's nice, he's innocent, but the children, the grandchildren who were lighter, he would go sometime to town in the area where we live, and he would have them in the front and, and put my children, you know, who were dark. My wife is dark, I'm dark, so put them in the back seat. He felt comfortable, more comfortable was with Was that me. a fear response? <laughs> no, it was just a sense of, he thought the, from the environment, from the social construct, that that was a little bit more to them being uh, recognized and uh, appreciated. So what you're saying is the message was very effective very effective, very penetrating, and I think it still holds today that we still suffer from the effects of that, psychologically. So I want to get to, I don't want to get to where I condemn Christianity because I don't. I want to say, I always like to say the slaveholders concept of Christianity Mm -hmm. because the beautiful message that I hear coming from the Christian community today is not speaking to that on a whole but I'm hearing something now, even I'm hearing it in the, uh, the political arenas where they're talking about this nation belongs to the so-called white community, the European community, and, this, and the darker people, the Africans, and the darker people are going to bring it down, and the quality of life is going to, going to go down if the African-Americans and the immigrants and others get into certain positions in this country. I think that's, in fact, I'm hearing it being discussed in certain quarters that people are being recruited in certain religious circles for uh, uh, this, to help promote this white supremacy, white supremacy idea, white supremacy. Through the, through the Christian faith? Yeah, the elements. Yeah. The elements. I think we all bear responsibility for what happens around us. Hmm. And forgive me if I'm overstating a point here. And correct me if I'm overstating a point here, but I don't think the religion, that religion as a whole, is the root of the problem. Right. I think people are the root of the problem. When we segment ourselves, if, it, if religion did not divide us, we would find something else to divide us. Mm-hmm. Because when we put ourselves into, into groupings, whether it be national groupings or skin color groupings or state groupings or club groupings, whenever we do that... Yes. What we're doing is we're saying there's a differential. My group, my club, my hair color, my skin color, whatever, is better than yours is. Mm. And, and while religion bears responsibility because we are part of that culture, I don't think that we are, as religious folks, I don't think we're the core of that. Mm-hmm. I think we have a responsibility to solve the problem and to recognize the problem and to call it for what it is as racism. But I, I think that human nature being what it is, we create that because of a kind of almost competitive nature in humans, human genome. Mm-hmm. I came up, I found another definition of race, which goes as follows. Race is biological, describing physical traits inherited from your parents. Mm-hmm. So anything that differentiates me from you, my group from your group, is ultimately going to devolve. Yes. 
That's why I like to say those who hijack religion. Mm-hmm. And you notice I was very careful to say the slaveholders mm-hmm. concept of Christianity, not the Christian concept, not Jesus Christ's. But it did exist beyond emancipation. It did exist. It continued to exist, and it does exist. So I guess I would say I, I think that I don't think the point is to be ashamed when I read that quote from Thornwell. I'm I'm saddened, deeply sad that that would that somebody who did so much good and whose legacy lives on in Clinton, Clinton, South Carolina, that that would have been how could he have been so blind? So I'm sad about that. I am I'm ashamed about how long it took me to recognize that I had advantages. But I don't I don't think it helps if I just then beat myself up. The point is to acknowledge, to be aware, and to, in humility, claim, understand what's been given to me, and to listen to people whose stories are different than mine, which is one of the things I have valued so much about being able to listen to your two stories. So humility and repentance, as well as a desire to do better, and and an honest reading of Scripture. Yeah. So uh, yeah, honest, genuine, and authentic reading, because I think all of our scriptures point to the fact that we are a family upon this earth, family of humanity upon this earth. And would it be fair to say that all of our scriptures also have in them language that allows the use of othering? Yeah. So all of us have all all three of our religions. It's Christianity in this in America because it has been such a dominant piece bears a special responsibility. But the racism I remember you talking about, you know, the nation of Islam saying, I mean, the the white race is the devil, right? So, yes, it, it, I assume all three of our religions have been hijacked in that same way. There are scriptures that may be used to encourage hatred of the other. Yeah, that wasn't coming from scripture as much as it was coming from. A, a construction, a construct of the language to try to address the language, the negativity that was out there. It wasn't coming from Quran. It came from Louis Farrakhan? No, it came from uh, the teacher of Elijah Muhammad who uh, began the social reform movement of the Nation of Islam. But true Islam doesn't focus upon that, doesn't identify any race of people as a devil or as a devil race. It identifies all of us as coming from the same human quality of excellence. And I would say that Christianity does the same yes. regardless of what the white uh, supremacists say. Yes. The well, Ku Klux Klan. Well, that's why it's vital that, that we speak about ourselves and not our clannishness yeah. and not our own group as being superior to one another, which you know leads me to a, another area of this conversation which... I'd like to go back to something you had, had said earlier, Mom, about your twin and about um, having a lighter complexion in that. We are at the cusp in our scientifically burdened world, laden world, where we are monitoring and creating diagrams of the human gemo- genome. Mm. And with eugenics, which really began to take off in, in the 20th century... 
In Germany is where I first heard of eugen. Oh, well, no, that's not true. Didn't Hitler borrow the, the uh, concept from the United States? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. so. So wouldn't it be a wonderful thought if we could somehow alter the human genome so that we would all look alike? We'd all have the same color eyes, same color skin, right? The same height, no. the same... Exactly. No. <laughs> What, what a disaster that would be for humanity if we, if we were all mimicked images out of a CRISPR that looked just like one another. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I think this is the utter beauty and dignity and grandeur of our joint faiths that if you drill down to the core of what we are and not listen to the outliers, mm-hmm. that it is the appreciation of the differentness, the otherness of... Someone yeah. who is not like me, yeah. that truly is God's greatest gift to us, mm-hmm. instead of the, the racist theory yeah. that would say, you've all got to be like me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good point, because in the Quran, it says, God says, I have created all, created all of you from a single pair. And he identifies that pair as from a single pair of a male and female. Then it says, and made you into nations and tribes. In other words, given us our diversity to attract us to each other, not that we may despise each other. So diversity, unity is uh, there as a focus. Diversity is there, is there as a focus. But upon that unity comes back to the human essence. That unity in our human essence is more important than the diversity But the diversity is healthy, it's good, it's needed, but the commonality, what brings all of us back to that oneness, it it, it is a focus for us. Mm -hmm. But we have to respect the diversity. And and we have said before between us, so in Johnson's and my scriptures, we use the language of made in the image of God, and in the Muslim tradition, it is in the very essence of God, right? That that's the distinction Well, well, it's the the attributes of God. The attributes of God. Made of the attributes of God, yeah. Regardless of color, regardless of nation, regardless. Regardless. Human being. Human being. That's right. And I don't know of a baby that's born into the world that speaks a different language, that has a different expression. All babies have the same expression. Right. And every mother, a mother from different ethnic backgrounds can can attend to that baby. Mm -hmm. Okay. But later on, we, 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 we pull from the environment, we pull from the, the culture and we come up with the differences. But if we go back, we all have essentially the same human nature. And while that is absolutely so, what is it about human beings that we gravitate to the people who are like us, right? So we, we enjoy, we gravitate to like groups, mm-hmm. which is part of what, I guess, what was it, I, I don't remember, was it Dr. King who said, I mean, 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, the most segregated hour of, of the week. And um, I've heard before in my life the, the old segregationist trope, well, God made red birds and blue birds, and red birds mm-hmm. and blue birds don't fly together, right? <laughs> so I had, I've had somebody say that to me. What Dr. King's, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said about that was, don't forget, there are four types of blood, 
And those t- four types of blood flow in every single kind of human being. Mm-hmm. It's not different kinds of human beings, but that was the language he used. Four types of blood. These four types are found within every racial group. Mm-hmm. So it's both and, yeah. right? But let, let, let me share something with you on that point. With the communities here in the United States, we have diverse communities. From I'm talking the Muslim community. You're talking about Muslim community. The Muslim community. Okay. From... Pakistan, from Syria, from Africa, from America, from Europe, and from other places. We all come together, and we have the prayers for our celebration together. Then we would kind of disperse back to our kind of own cultures. And at first I was kind of taken back by that. So I asked the brothers from uh, Egypt, one time, I said, you all grouped together. After the prayers, you all were grouped together. And I said, I noticed the, the Pakistanis, they were grouped together. He said, it's easy for, easier for us to communicate with each other. If others are there who, who do not speak the language, it, you know, it's kind of, it's not, it's difficult for us to talk to each other and then come back and try to uh, it says easier. It's not that we have a dislike. Uh, it's just easier for, in the, for us in the culture to speak to each other. But what's the div- what is the dividing line between easier and protectionist or, or isolated? Yes. So what I tell them, I said, I, I tell them, I said, well, we pray together. <laughs> we pray together and we play separately. So I understand that the cultures offer beautiful things mm-hmm. we can learn from each other we do learn from each other but there's nothing wrong with people being relaxed in their own culture as long as they don't try to promote it over the other I, I would agree with that yeah. that there is there's a beauty and the diversity yes and an ease how to keep that from turning into and I don't want homogenous culture either I love Indian food <laughs> well, yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I I like the diversity, but um, well, I'm gonna tell you just since you mentioned Indian food, delicious, but it's spicy. Mm-hmm. It's hot, <laughs> and so some of us couldn't couldn't digest that well, and so we were glad to kind of get back into our own kind of cultural mix. <laughs> from, to borrow from a, a psychoanalytic movement too, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of narcissism. Mm. It, I love both of you. Because you're different from me. If you were mirror images of me, I'm going to love myself. Mm. That's not what life is about. Yeah. Not life is not staring into the river and looking back and admiring your own reflection. Right. Life is it's precisely about that. And in regard to what you're saying, both of you, the word exclusive versus the word inclusive, I don't necessarily think they have to be opposites mm-hmm. to each other. Right. We can we can be exclusive while going home and eating the food that is familiar to ourselves, going to our own grouping where we have the similar language, but we have to be inclusive enough so that exclusivity does not prohibit other people or prohibit us from going into their living room, their table, eating their food, trying their hot food or their bland food or whatever it is. So I I think that natural tension should not prohibit us, must not prohibit us. Yes. And that's why I like the part where it says, we created all of you from one common family, but we're giving you your diversity. 
that diversity is to be respected. And we can learn from it. We can learn from that diversity. But when we, I, I, I would say, when we put one race over the other, the Quran says, no, you should see respect for God and respect for humanity as, as those qualities that stand out. Mm. In, the, in the New Testament letters, it says, those who say they love God but hate their brothers or sisters are liars. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So what is it that then we do or must do, or what is it that our communities do or must do if racism in the negative sense is to be addressed? I'd like to study ethnic background so I can learn the wealth of information and knowledge that will help me to grow and expand. I think that we have, as we come here, as we have been coming here, you go back to the synagogue, you go where we are now to the church, and I go back to the mosque. And we try to speak and conduct ourselves in such a way to show that appreciation. I don't believe we, I don't believe we just do it when we're here with each other. Mm-hmm. I think we're trying to spread this among others or share this information with others. And that's the way I like for, uh, for the world to be, that we understand our differences, we respect our differences, we work together to advance the common good, but we relax and know that we have our own identities, but we don't try to elevate them, and that's over the other. And that's what I like about you, Rabbi Case and Reverend Ellen, or may I say Ellen and Jonathan. <laughs> I'm good with that. I, w- I wonder, if, as we look at other people, and this is an answer to the question that you posed, I wonder, as we look at other people, whether we see something that's interesting or dangerous. And if we can identify which of those two we see, dangerous means probably racist. Mm-hmm. Interesting means, okay, here's, a, here's something, I, I got to open this, you know, wrapper. I got to see what's underneath, you know, let, let's... this. I have something to learn from this experience, from getting to know you better than I do now. And if we could approach all of life as a mystery, you mm-hmm. brought up the idea earlier of a of a child born into the world, and they all speak the same gaga language, as, <laughs> right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all approach the world mm-hmm. with this with wide eyed wonder and inquisitiveness at the otherness of people? And I just want to add to your question as well about combating racism and. Maybe the question is not a question. Maybe it's rhetorical. I don't know. You decide for yourself. Are some people made in the image of God? Or are all people made in the image or attributes of God? You right? It's, it's one or the other. Yeah. And if all people are made in the image or with the attributes of God, then some cannot be excluded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. All, in our religion says, all humanity, all of you were created from one common essence, one common nature. And that's both the humanity, the, all people on this earth, and it includes male and female. <laughs> so it won't allow us to discriminate uh, on those bases. But I want to say just in closing, for my part, I was, I challenged uh, myself, Rabbi Case, to uh, ask Reverend Ellen, Ellen Skidmore, to come and speak to us. Knowing that we, knowing that we had a majority African-American Muslim congregation. We have others that are there. But I wanted her, when I heard her, I wanted our congregation to hear her so we could get a better uh, feel of the Christian community. And so, even though many of us came from the Christian community, 
And she tickled me. She said, I'm not qualified. That, that was her first response. But she didn't say no. She just said she wasn't qualified. But when I talked to her and uh, asked, uh, kind of begged her a little bit. Volan told me. <laughs> <laughs> she came and she spoke. And when she spoke, there were others there who were Christians and others. But again, the clean and pure spirit that she communicated came from that reservoir of that human essence. And that was very touching, not to me, but to others that, that uh, told me that, uh, oh, man, she's, she's good. She, she touched my soul. Yeah, I don't believe everything he says. <laughs> but ever since then. I believe this. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but, well, ever, but, but, but ever since then, and, and, and uh, with Rabbi Case, knowing uh, a lot of things from the Muslim community and knowing how problems are there in the Middle East with uh, Israel, the Palestinians, I've always been touching him to see where does he stand in terms of justice and fairness. And I haven't gotten a pushback in his spirit from that. And that engages, that keeps us, I think the friendship and the love has developed now that we can handle the tough issues that we have to go into if we have to discuss those things. When I'm God, I'll know all the answers. <laughs> and I don't, I'm pretty confident that's never going to happen. Yeah. I, I do think that knowing each other is a giant antidote. So once you hear somebody's story, you can't unhear it. Hmm. Once you've heard, Omar, you know, your story of growing up with you and your twin playing with the owner, the sharecropper's boys, and yeah. there was a point at which they came and said, we can't play with you anymore. Yes. And the stories that I have been privileged to hear, I think that's the beginning of change. And there have been folks in churches where I've served all around who really push back against, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, there might be a few white supremacists out there, but I'm not racist, or, mm. you know, our, our, our famous Senator the United States is not a racist nation. I can't unhear what I've heard. Hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that race is the be all end all, the answer to everything. But it is real. Yeah. And so I, I'm responsible to acknowledge it because I know and love people who have right. been hurt by it, and I know very well how, like Thornwell, how I have been a part of a stream that at some point or another, did teach that. Mm. So it is, it is in getting to know you, and not only you, but others, that that's the spiritual discipline. And I, I look back when I was, see, I'm, I was, I think I said this before, when I was in middle school was really my first experience in a really integrated middle junior high school. Mm. But my experience was of unrest and parallelism. So it wasn't relationships. Hmm. It was a parallel existence. That's not good enough. Hmm. So somehow it's it's at root it's about it's about all of us sharing a common ancestor. Yeah. It's about us trusting each other to hear our story and us being curious enough to hear what somebody else's experience has been. Yeah, and I can't unlearn or unexperience what I have experienced. Right. But I also have to be wise enough and understanding enough to know that those inducements should not override what I believe that God has done 
in our lives and keep a focus on yeah. that common that common humanity that common essence that we're all that we're all working to try to be a better part of and help promote yeah I, had a, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that's faith yeah faith that we can rise above where we are today yes and to go back to Reverend uh, Skidmore's comment too about collective responsibility vis-a-vis mm-hmm. -vis racism if racism exists which is in itself a ridiculous proposition because there's no if racism exists yeah. it's our responsibility there's no way out of it we live in this world we inhabit this world and if racism goes on in our neighbors in our friends in our parishioners wherever it is our responsibility we are culpable yeah Well, I think we've hit as much as we can hit on today. <laughs> we, oh, you'll well, probably have to come back you know, and revisit. It, it maybe revisit again, and it also we touched on briefly, but I think at some point we go to, we've talked about nationalism. I mean, the, the, they're not completely, they're not the same, but they're related issues. So, yeah. 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 There is so much to talk about, so much to learn. Thank you for joining us at Abraham's Table. This podcast is a labor of love produced by us, Imam Omar Shahid, Rabbi Jonathan Case, and Reverend Ellen Fowler-Skidmore, with musical gifts shared with us by Kyle Lovett from his piece, Shofar Worship, Worship, which you can find on Spotify. We certainly hope you are enjoying our conversations and will come back. We'll share them with your friends and family. You are always invited to communicate with us via email at abrahamstablesc at gmail.com. From Columbia, South Carolina, and until we meet again, we wish you God's peace. Assalamu alaikum. God's peace be on all of us. And in Hebrew, shalom aleichem. Peace be on us all. Oh.